Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. This evening, turn to the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah chapter 13. We'll also be turning to 2 Kings chapter number 4. Nehemiah chapter number 13 and 2 Kings chapter number 4. Good to see those who have made it out on the solar eclipse eve. And uh, I hate to disappoint you, I don't have a sermon about the solar eclipse. The moment of darkness that we're going to endure. But... uh, You'll see here in just a moment what the Lord will do. Nehemiah chapter number 13, 2 Kings chapter number 4 as well. Amen. 13 and verse number 4 of Nehemiah. 13, the Bible says, And before this, Eliashib the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. He had prepared for him a great chamber where aforementioned they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense, the vessels and the tithes of the corn, the new wine and the oil which was commanded to be given to the Levites, the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priest. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem, for in the two and thirtieth year of our taxes, king of Babylon came I unto the king, And after certain days obtained leave of the king. We can turn now to 2 Kings chapter number 4. 2 Kings chapter number 4 and verse number 8. 2 Kings chapter number 4 and verse number 8. The Bible states these words. And it fell on the day that Elisha passed to Shunem where was a great woman and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. She said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. Let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick, and a cane, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither and turned into the chamber and lay there. Amen. Tonight, just from these two uh, individual passages, just want to point two things out to you here from the onset this evening. And that is Elisha the priest had made for Tobiah, someone he was allied with, made for him a great chamber there was a place of the chamber there that he put aside for Tobiah and we read over in then the book of second kings that a woman for the man of God the the the, the righteousness of the man of God made for him a little chamber a little chamber I want to this evening to minister basically this from Nehemiah and second kings four: the power of provision the power of provision. Both Tobiah and Elijah were provided for in two individual houses. One a great chamber and one a little chamber. Amen. Elijah was the man of God. Tobiah was the enemy of the people. And it totally affects the outcome of these two peoples, what you make provision for. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I need you tonight. Praying, God, you would bring, Lord, every mind into captivity to the obedience of Christ the Lord. God, that you're able to touch my mind tonight. Lord, mark every bit of error from it. Help me, Lord, to be sensitive, God, to what you would want and what you would have, Lord, in this service. I pray, oh God, those that may be here but disconnected, I pray, Lord, you would connect them, Lord Jesus, before they leave. God, I pray, oh Lord, this evening, let your word find a place of lodging. 
God, in each and every one of our hearts, in each and every one of our souls. God, for we've come, Lord, to honor you with praise and worship and adoration, God, to, Lord, center our lives around about your word, a word, God, that has life in it. I pray, oh, Lord, let that life, God, just permeate, Lord Jesus, every individual in this place, and we'll not fail, Lord, to thank you or praise you, Lord, for what you do in this house. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. May the church say amen. 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 You may be seated. Amen tonight in the lovely name of the Lord. Look at your neighbor and tell them the power of provision. The power of provision. Nehemiah chapter 13 is the last chapter of the book of Nehemiah. We have seen through the book of Nehemiah quite a undertaking by Nehemiah and those that rallied to his cause. The book opens with a dilapidated, ruined, torn down city of Jerusalem. That's without walls, without bars, without gates. Houses have been obliterated. It's just a smoking, smoldering pile of just a memory of what it used to be. Nehemiah understands the dilemma that's in Jerusalem. He seeks out certain people that he is close to and asks concerning their situation. They tell him of the scenery of the grand Jerusalem that they had known place where the temple had resided, where people had lived, where there were daily activities there, but now it was nothing but a vacant city and a vacant town. It was just something, just a a great fall from where it used to have been, a decline. Nehemiah, with all the fortitude that's within him, had decided that he's going to go back to that location. If he can get relief from the Persian king, he's going to go back to that location and bring Jerusalem back to its heyday. Bring Jerusalem back to its time of success and power with inhabitants living in it with its walls built and its gates secured. He goes with a plan. He gets leave from the Persian king to leave his office of being cupbearer to go to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem and it's just as it was told him. I don't know if it was worse than what he heard or better than what he heard. I don't know how he felt about the dilemma of Jerusalem. But I know in the nighttime, the Bible says he went out and he surveyed the area. He took in consideration where different gates used to be and where the walls used to be and how everything had one time been constructed to the best of his memory. And he begins to lay it all out as he surveys the area. This is what needs to be done and that's what's going to need to be done and this is the type of material that we're going to need in order to secure this. And he starts to make his game plan for rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. He finds and he gives a good speech and he rallies together some people that seen his vision and seen his cause to bring Jerusalem back to a place that it once was. And whenever he gets them excited and buying into the vision, they're going to arise and strengthen their hands, as the Bible says, to rebuild this great place, this notable place in the history of the Israelites. And they go to work. They're working feverishly day and night. They are working with hardship. They are working with enemies on the outskirts, foreboding and wishing to to come and somehow keep them and prevent them from reconstructing what Nehemiah wanted to be reestablished from having a place where people could feel safe and at ease and with comfort and a place where a temple could be erected again and worship and praise and glory could flow from the city of Jerusalem again. So everything that they did for the rebuilding of that place did not come easy. It did not come with them just being able to fold their arms and close their eyes and just easily do what they accomplished to do. But with great effort and with great adversary and great opposition, they did what they did. As a matter of fact, it's just tremendous to think that they even was able to accomplish what they accomplished. That in 52 days, as the Bible says, that the walls were rebuilt to the city of Jerusalem. What a task. What a great task that a man would undertake and get enough people to buy into his vision. Buy into his vision to accomplish this in 52 days. To be able to do that in the face of adversity. To be able to do that in the face of foe on the outskirts, mocking and jeering and accusing and speaking down. 
to Nehemiah and those that were helping work with him. And so in 52 days, the walls were built and they resecured the gates and the bars and the entrances were secure. And I would be able to say at the end of 52 days that Nehemiah probably felt pretty well. We now have houses within the city walls. We have the city walls. We need a temple. We have everything in place in order to put back in order the way that Jerusalem once was. Good job, guys. Thank you for buying into the vision. Thank you for helping us get to where we needed to be. He, he, everything that was wrong in and around that area, Nehemiah had corrected by his vision and by his instruction and by his guidance. He had instructed everything that had went wrong. People uh, intermarrying with others outside of their tribe and bringing in false gods. He had put a stop to that. He got people that were living on the outskirts in the wilderness to get back into Jerusalem and now they're living in Jerusalem again. They can support the city of Jerusalem. He had done all of that in those 52 days. He seemingly been made governor. He seemingly been made overseer. But whenever all of this construction had ended, when everything that he had put his mind to had come to a closure, Nehemiah had to go back home to serve the Persian king. He goes back home to serve the Persian king and it would have been great if Nehemiah had closed in chapter number 12. It'd been great because in chapter 12, it's a celebration time of the dedication of the wall that they rebuilt. It was a time of giving duties, amen, to temple servers. It had been a great time had the book of Nehemiah just stopped right at chapter 12, a high mark, a time of celebration, a time of rejoicing over the things that they had done. But we have chapter 13, and chapter 13 isn't the way that you expect Nehemiah to end. Chapter 13 is a little bit disappointing. It had been better had it ended in 12, but it ended in chapter 13. We can't ignore it. We can't leave it out. It's just the way that it was. I mean, in my mind, when I read chapter 13, I'm asking myself, how in the world could this be? I mean, after all the rebuilding, after all of the material that was amassed, after all of the, all the hands that were involved in the world, how could what's taken place in chapter 13 happen? After all the repopulating of Jerusalem, the bringing people in from the outskirts back into Jerusalem, how could this happen? After the conflict that they have had with adversaries and the conflict that they have had with enemies, how in the world the vows, the vows that the people had made to God and said, God, I, I, I'm going to pledge this to you and I'm going to pledge that to you and I'm going to give a life of service to you here and there. When we come to chapter 13, it's very, very disappointing. Can someone say amen? Because from chapter 12, verse 6 to chapter chapter 12, rather, the end of chapter 12 to verse 6 of chapter 13, approximately 12 years have passed. Approximately 12 years have passed. Nehemiah is absent. Nehemiah is back serving the Persian king. And what has happened now to the city of Jerusalem, the city they invested time in, the city that they rebuilt, repopulated, the city that they've done all this through, conflict of opposition and enemies for 12 years now, that has already been taken place. Now Jerusalem is in decline. Jerusalem's in decline. The stories shouldn't end like this. The story of the rebuilding of the wall and the gates should not end like this. It's in though now, 12 years later, 12 years from being rebuilt, it's in an unbelievable decline. Amen. It's amazing what's happening in this city. The place where there was the reviving and the restoration, the rending of the heavens, if you will, God coming down and speaking to them. Now there is a decline where reformation has taken place in the city streets and in the area. Now there is decline where people had delighted in and worshiped the God of heaven at again now is in decline. Where we read in chapters earlier in Nehemiah where the Bible says they stood for a six hour long service of reading and explaining the word of God look at it in your Bible they stood the whole time it was about a six hour time frame for the reading and the explaining of the word of God now there's decline I mean how can you take a people that's willing to stand for six hours to listen to the word of God and it be explained for 12 years later, 
to be declined. I mean, I think if I could have people just stay with me for 45 minutes. How in the world could this be happening to people that entered into a covenant relationship with God during that time frame of those 52 days, reforming their lives, bringing their marriages back together that were broken apart and skewed. Amen. All during this time, promising, giving vows to promise to live for God. But now, 12 years later, it's in decline. How can this I mean, it's hard for my mind to grasp a little bit. I mean, here, here's a group of people that at one time they disengaged from everything and they covenanted with God. They committed their lives, their resources, themselves and their families to God. No matter what, that was the words on their lips, not just too many chapters earlier. No matter what, amen, they have built these stately walls of protection that are walls of defense to any adversary. Amen, they, they built those walls with the intent and the purpose not just to protect them, but also to keep outside, if you will, those that needed not be inside the walls to keep the enemy at bay, amen, to guard against their foe. Amen, people were making provision for all these different things. And then, 12 years later, it says the priest, Eliashib, who had oversight of the chambers of the house of God, that was allied to Tobiah, which was an enemy, gave Tobiah a great chamber in the city of Jerusalem, in the temple. Tobiah that we have heard of time and time again and Nehemiah. Let's just look a little bit at the character, if you will, of Tobiah, the personality of Tobiah. We're not foreign to him because in the chapters leading up to 13, we read about his motive. We read about his way of life during the time that the Jews were rebuilding Jerusalem and putting up the walls and doing all these things that they wanted to do, amen, for the sake of the people and for the sake of the city. The Bible says this, concerning Tobiah and Nehemiah too. It grieved Tobiah that Nehemiah was seeking out the welfare of the children of Israel. You listening to me? In chapter two, it grieved Tobiah that Nehemiah had a mindset, let's get Israel back in a good place in Jerusalem. It grieved him. Yet now we have a man in Jerusalem that's inviting the same Tobiah and said, I provided a place for you right here. In chapter 2, the Bible says, Tobiah laughed at the Jews and despised them for their attempt to rebuild the gates and rebuild the wall. Do you understand what I'm saying here tonight? When Nehemiah and the boys were out there working, Tobiah was over there. Ha, ha. He said, even if a fox would go up on your wall, it'll fall flat. But that same Tobiah, Someone has invited in. Invited in to Jerusalem. Tobiah, the Bible says in Nehemiah 4, Tobiah was angry when he received word that the wall of Jerusalem was standing and there were no more breaches. So he laughed at them when they were building it. Amen. And he was angry with them when they completed it. This is Tobiah I'm talking about. In chapter 6, the Bible says Tobiah had a hand in hiring. Listen to me. Tobiah had a hand in hiring the false prophet that was sent to try to intimidate Nehemiah. So we got this Tobiah over here, Will and Dylan, say you just state the price. If I can pay you this price, you go and intimidate the man of God over there that's trying to rebuild Jerusalem. And yet now, 12 years later, we have somebody, the one who wanted to intimidate or pay off somebody to intimidate, now we've invited him in and said, we've hewn out a space right here just for you. The character and the personality of Tobiah is this. It says in Nehemiah 6 also, Tobiah sent a slanderous, you can read it. He sent a slanderous open letter to Nehemiah to try to discredit Nehemiah, his motives for rebuilding the gates and the wall. He sent a letter open to Nehemiah saying, you're doing this for your own personal benefit. You're doing this to try to shine. That wasn't Nehemiah's motive at all. But he sent an open letter so everybody who handled it since it wasn't sealed, could read it and somehow be sucked into the concept, you know what, Nehemiah is doing this for himself. Yeah. All 
12 years later, the Tobiah that was grieved that they came, that laughed at what, what they were doing, was angry with it when they got finished, that hired a false prophet against them, and that sent a mean letter to Nehemiah. Now they're inviting in Jerusalem. You add and subtract that, and it doesn't come out right. You multiply and divide that, and it doesn't come out quite right. It's this very individual, the Bible says, Eliashib, that prepared a great chamber in the house of God for Tobiah. If I say it like this, Eliashib made provision for Tobiah. Years ago, it's been years ago now, I guess I could say, but years ago, whenever I came back home and started uh, working employment in a national surveying firm in Evansville, at one time my job function there was to peruse and browse various legal documents in my work and at times uh, it was nothing for me to be go through 500 sheets of legal documentation in my hands touching every page reading sp special warranty deeds and quick claim deeds and vesting deeds and easements upon easements and schedule B's of titles and all this garbage of jargon and language and as you would read through there sometimes there are these clauses within legal documents known as provisional clauses provisional clauses and provisional clauses they provide for something that would not normally be provided for within the regular documentation. For instance, I remember working there one time and a couple could have sold a parcel of land for X amount of dollars. Amen. And where they sold that though, they had a provisional clause that was in there saying we're selling this to you, but we have all claim and rights and interest to the oil and to the minerals that are in the land. Amen. Meaning this, that you can farm the land, you can do whatever you want to with the land. You can landscape it, you can dig on it you can do you can have it excavated but if you ever find oil and you ever find minerals in the land the profits of all that belong to us you can own the land you can inhabit on the land you can build on the land but if you ever find oil you feel in any material that matter it belongs to us because they made a provision they made a provision in other words, had there never been a provision made, the new owners of the land, had they found oil, it would have been theirs and the profit would have been theirs. Had they found any type of material, silver or gold, if they found that, the profit was theirs and it would have been theirs if there never was a provision made. But because there was a provision made, they could find oil and minerals in their land. But the profit would go to the previous owner because of provision. I dare to say here this evening that there are some things that happen in the lives of people and there are some things that happen within the life of the church and it doesn't mean we don't own our lives. It doesn't mean that we do not own the things that go on around the church but what it basically comes down to is this. We have sat across the table and we have been duped to think that that person was for us when they're really against us. We've been duped to think that the adversary is no longer the adversary and we have made provisions. We've hewed out spots in our families. We've hewed out spots in our homes. We've hewed out spots in our individual lives and in the life of the church, making provision for the adversary, making provision for the enemy. Someone say amen. Here is Eliashib who has made a provision for one of the arch enemies of the Jews, one of the arch enemies of Israel. Why, Brother McGee? Well, look at this now. For 12 years, someone has made a provision for him. It says that where meat offerings used to be kept, where frankincense used to be kept, where tithe of the corn used to be kept, that the temple in that day of that day had all these chambers around about the temple. It held, it held goods, it, it, held, it held, if you will, materials that, that concerned the worship of Jehovah, uh, oil and frankincense and meat and such, that they would use those things from those chambers for the purpose of worship and for the purpose of magnifying God. But somewhere along the way, somebody pushed those things aside and made provision for Tobiah. Or if I could say it like this, there could have been a depletion in meat offerings. 
There could have been a depletion in frankincense. There could have been a depletion in the tithe of the corn because somebody made a provision for the adversary. Let me tell it like this. You can't keep as much corn in the chambers when the adversary is housed in the chamber. You can't have as much frankincense in the chamber when you've housed the arch enemy of God. You can't keep, if you will, the meat offerings for worship and sacrifice like you used to when you've made provision for the arch enemy of Israel. You say, well, Brother McGee, I just can't worship like I used to worship. I tell you what, that scares me a little bit when you don't have the same room for worship that you used to because that tells me you may have made provision for something that doesn't need to be in the chamber. I can't tithe my corn now. I can't tithe. Brother McGee, I'm in a position I can't tithe like I used to. What's changed in your life? Has God changed? If not, he still do the tithe of all of your increase in the house of the Lord. What provision have you made to steal and rape tithe from the house of God? I got a hanky somewhere, Bishop. There it is. So there's been a depletion. Depletion. Now something has taken its place. A provision has been made. There's a desecrating, if you will, of the temple as a result of. Read chapter 13. There's a dishonoring of the Sabbath as a result of it. There's the intermarrying of the races and it wasn't so much a race issue as much as it was those of different tribes and different people would bring their pagan gods into the scenario that's happening all over again Nehemiah had already taken care of that but it's back because somebody's made provision how, you t- how do you take a church that believes in righteousness and holiness and godliness and in a period of years they look like every other they look like every other. I tell you how. They make provisions for it. How can you go from a church that preaches the truth of baptism in Jesus' name for the remission of sins and years later you come to a place that it's optional however you want to be baptized. That's the way you we baptize. I tell you how. You make provisions for it. How is it that at one time you say you must be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Amen. Evidenced, if you will, speaking in other tongues as Acts 2 says. And on the other hand, you start talking of the gift of the Holy Ghost as a second gift or a second grace that's extended to you. I tell you how. It's because you make a provision for it. It's really not hard. All you got to do is hew out of space. See, on one day it might be, we'll, we'll, we'll just have a space. We'll just get rid of some of the frankincense, you know. But over time, you know what happens? You start getting rid of frankincense. It's like we need to make a greater provision. So we'll get rid of some of the meat offerings. We need a greater provision. So we'll get some of the tithe of the corn. And before you know it, you've hewed out a space greater than what you started with. Maybe that's the reason why the Bible tells us in our individual lives, make no provision for the flesh. Huh? Because whatever you make provision for will take and come to be the captain of the ship when it's all said and done. There's power and provision. Honey, if we prohibit something with our kids, we try to provide if you will, something as a replacement. But I guarantee you this, if we just turn our head and say, well, you know, they're young and they're so and so forth and they need to be able to experience life at this age. If we make a provision now, if we make a provision now, a little, you know, let it slide now, she's not going to quit sliding into adulthood. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And so here it is. 
We have one of these storerooms now. Used to have frankincense and oil and grain in it. Not anymore. Because day to day and week to week, month by month, provision has been made for Tobiah. They used to get the substance for worship out of there. But they can't now because now the enemy of Israel is residing there. He is Tobiah. I say Tobiah. Nehemiah says, Nehemiah says it's Tobiah the Ammonite. Walk with me here. If you remember the Old Testament story, the Old Testament history of when the people of God were on the verge of entry into the land of promise and had just left Egypt and went their wilderness journey, they came across, the Bible says, the Ammonites. They asked the Ammonites for bread and for water because the Israelites were in dire need of it. But the Ammonites... And its king, King Shihon, refused. Not only did they refuse, but they went to war against the Israelites. Fatal mistake. Fatal mistake. They went to war against the Israelites. They went to war then to the God of the Israelites. And they just had battle between one another. And then in the same chapter, in our Old Testament... There's a story of the Moabites. The Moabites, you will remember, hired Balaam, the prophet, to pronounce a curse upon the children of Israel, which God, in his sovereignty, turned the curse of Balaam into a blessing. And now this chapter says in the Old Testament, because of the Ammonites and their deeds, and the Moabites and their deeds, because of that, the Bible, I think it's in Deuteronomy, tells us that they were forbidden from entering into the assembly of God. Let's break it down like this. God said they couldn't be in the temple. But now we have a man thinking that he's better than God. He doesn't really mean that. That's old and archaic. That was for then. That's something they used to preach and teach in the first church. That's not relevant for our times and our culture. Hogwash! If it came from the voice and the lips of God, it still stands. And we need not make a provision for what God said you need not make a provision for. I whistle for my own sermon. I'm telling you right now, I feel the Holy Ghost. You cannot make a provision for what God denied a provision for. I don't care how old and archaic, out of fashion you might think it is. <laughs> hey, he said, Moabites, Ammonites? No, 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 no. No place in the assembly of God. No place in the assembly of God. They were forbidden to engage in worship. They were forbidden to engage in the temple. And it wasn't that God was prohibiting the race, but the concern was the purity of their worship. They served other gods. They already started from the out, out onset, amen, to be evil, amen, against the children of Israel. Not did they just deny them bread and water, but they then just went to war with them over it. So they're not allowed to enter the assembly of God. Because they were pagan, they'd bring their foreign pagan deities, they would bring their belief system in the house. Because he knew these type of people are not the changers. They are not going to mold their life to the way that temple life is. They are going to try to impose their life on temple life. Some of us get this ball game in our mind. It's okay, Brother McGee, because we're going to win them or we're going to do this and we're going to change the dynamic of all this. We're going to change how it's but you're full of baloney, sir. You're full of baloney. No, things like that are so dangerous. They don't come to conform to you. They come to conform you. There's certain things that God said in his word. Taste not. Touch not. And the reason being just being that close is enough to start you on a downward decline. He said there's some things you don't even need to touch, touch or taste because they are so putrid and they are so invasive that 
you don't need to give a provision for those type of things. <laughs> and so Elisha makes provision for Elisha is related to none other than Tobiah. Someone say amen. So see, the scripture we started with is verse 4. It says before this, because if you look at the previous, previous scriptures, they'll tell you about the Ammonite and the Moabite, and they'll tell you about Balaam. They'll tell you about all that. But it says before this, Elisha the priest had oversight, and he made a place for Tobiah. Something's even happened in Elisha's own life, folks, because Elisha, according to the word of God, in Nehemiah 3 and 1, it says, Elisha, the high priest, and his fellow priests began rebuilding. Do you hear me? Somewhere in the past, Elisha and the priests and his fellow priests were the first builders, rebuilders, might I say, of the wall that they finished in 52 days. Somewhere in the past, Elisha was there saying, Nehemiah, this is a great vision. We need to get things back the way that they used to. We need to initiate all the sacrifices again. We need to get the walls there, the protection. We need to get the gates. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah, you can depend upon good old Elishab here and my boys. We're going to be the first to involve ourselves in the work. And the first that was to involve himself in the work, 12 years later, are allowing something that should never belong in the temple in the temple. And there was a great chamber that was provided. A large chamber that was provided for him. And our Bible says concerning Elisha, the man of God, there was a little chamber provided for him. And so I come all this journey to this point. I got, I got to move on. But why? In the world was there provision made for Tobiah. After everything that was said, done, and accomplished through Nehemiah and those that strengthened their hands to rise to both, even after everything that Eliashib had been involved with, why was there provision made? I believe the key to this is in verse 4 when the Bible tells us of Nehemiah 13 that Eliashib was allied. Unto Tobiah. Eliashib was allied to Tobiah. Here's something you can write down in your minds or in your Bibles. Remember this. You will make provision for what you are in alliance with. You will make provision for what you're friends with. You'll make provision for what you lick arms with. I would dare to say that the odds would have been greater, or lesser, should I say, of Eliashib making provision for Tobiah had he not been an alliance. This, this is just humanity, folks. Are you more apt to invite a stranger to your house for dinner or someone that you consider your friend? There might be some of you grab a stranger and say, come on, let's go have dinner tonight. I don't know. But I'm saying the likelihood is that you'll more likely have a friend come home with you than you will a stranger. It's because that's somebody you are in alliance with. So you're willing to make provision. What this provision tells me of Eliashib, Eliashib is nothing more, but he was, in fact, a person that was in alliance with him. Now, look what happens here, folks. I got, I got to hurry here. I, didn't, I, I planned on being done in 30 minutes, so never trust me. Amen. Hallelujah. But whenever we look at this, look at the drawbacks of making provision for the Tobias in your life. Tobias shows up, and where there was frankincense and myrrh and meat offerings and all of that, Tobiah replaced everything that was deemed good, honorable, and necessary for the house of God. He replaced Oh, yeah. When you make, when you make provision for Tobiah, worship doesn't seem as important. 
When you make provision for Tobiah, prayer doesn't seem as important. Whenever you make provision for Tobiah, church attendance doesn't seem as important. Whenever you make provision for Tobiah, offerings don't seem as important. Whenever you make provision for Tobiah, any extracurricular things we have going on here around the church is just another spot on the calendar. And you really, it doesn't matter. Because you may, what happens, Tobiah comes in and replaces everything honorable, everything good, and everything necessary in your life for the house of God. Whenever you make provision, ago you said no we're having meat offerings no we're tithing corn but 12 years later Tobiah self-serving because you make a provision for what you're in alliance with you cater to what you're in alliance with if you were alliance with the offerings and sacrifices to God You'd make provision that there'll be meat offerings in the chambers. But since you're in alliance with Tobiah, you're saying that can just wait. We need to make room for Tobiah. Someone say amen. Look at this. They made room for Tobiah. And the Bible says, Nehemiah and them at Jerusalem start having problems again. You hear me? They start having problems again of wives and men intermarrying among other tribes. Here's what the problem that surfaced. Same problem that they had during the rebuilding of the wall that Nehemiah straightened all the junk out. What happened was this. They started seeing the next generation, the babies, the children that were growing up, they were speaking the language of Ashdod. Are you listening to me? They were speaking the language of Ashdod rather than the language of the Jews. We got little children that was growing up that they didn't know moms or dads, whoever was the Israelite. They Test, test. They didn't know their mother tongue. All they knew was the language of that pagan tribe that their other parent was married to. And what that meant was this. They could read the law. And maybe not even do that. But they would never understand what God expected of them. Because now all they knew was the language of Ashdod rather than the language of Israel, the Hebrews. And he says, let me tell you what happens whenever Tobiah is made for provision for Tobiah in the house of God. What happens is this. It will pervert a generation to come and it will disconnect them from the language and the voice of the Lord. You make provision for Tobiah and they'll start bringing things into their personal lives that it will corrupt their children so that they don't even know the law of God, the expectation of God, amen, be able to hear the voice of God whenever you make provision for Tobiah. When Tobiah moves in, he's corrupting the next generation. But he should have never been in the house, but you made provision and now your babies. Your babies are in harm's way as a result. Because if Tobiah never got in here, those babies would hear the worship in the tabernacle. If Tobiah would never got in here, they would smell the fragrance of the frankincense that was burning in the censer. If Tobiah never got around here, they would see the first fruits of your corn being given to the house of God. If Tobiah... But now they have no point of contact. They don't know what worship is about. They don't know what giving is about. They have no point of reference. Because somebody made a provision. Not only that, the Bible says they stopped revering the Sabbath. That happened in Nehemiah earlier. They were setting up their marketplace. Whenever Sabbath day come, man, they threw open the doors. They sent out goods to sell. They took advantage of it. Here's people, let's sell goods. Let's do commerce. Modern day society, do commerce all day now. I know we like to go to restaurants on Sunday, but mm, commerce. Now here in, in the city of Illinois, we even have our alcohol open over Sunday. Commerce. You know what that meant then? People were working rather than resting. Sabbath meant rest. You rested for the purpose of worship. 
Sabbath was resting for the purpose of worship. But now because of the commerce in the marketplace, people are involved in work rather than rest. Listen to me. You know what that points back to? That these were a people that were enslaved again because listen to me all during the time of Egyptian bondage when they're building all these things for Ramses and and these sphinxes and and pyramids and such they are all involved in that and they weren't able to keep the Sabbath because they were slaves at work and a slave can't choose when he's going to rest a slave can't choose when they're going to rest and for them to ignore the Sabbath was just to declare that they were a slave again because they couldn't choose to take the rest day. When you make provision for Tobiah, ultimately you'll put yourself under the bondage you used to be under. You will become a slave sitting on the church pew. Let me clarify. You'll become a slave to what you used to be enslaved to, but sitting on the church pew. Somebody made a provision for Tobiah. Someone say amen. Seems like over time what we have done, we no longer want to put death, put to death sin. That would just be too extreme. But we want to deal with sin many times as as a man would disarm his son. We don't want to kill it. We just want to disarm it. We treat sin like a family member. We treat it like somebody that we're in alliance with, like an old friend. When it knocks at our door, we allow it just to lodge just a little while, Brother McGee. Being so ignorant to the fact that when we make provision for that, it's not stopping with a rap at our door. And it's not stopping for a one night stay in our house. Honey, it's fixing to move in and take over more territory than what you first allowed it to have. Because if you'll grade it, give it a great chamber to start with, it's not going to stop until it gets your life, until it gets your kids, until it gets your family, until it has sway in every aspect and perimeter of your life. There's power when you make provision for something. Gonna give it, gonna give it a great chamber. Gave great chamber chamber to the adversary. But in 2 Kings, there's a woman that musters up enough space just to give a little chamber to the man of God. And everything that could entail him, the righteousness, the purity, the power, the unction of the Holy One of Israel, she makes provision. Makes provision for the man of God. Honey, this man have come by oft times and he's been by here and we've fed him and so on and so forth. She says, let us make him a little chamber. During those times of those visits, she felt like she came into alliance with the man of God. And she says, let's make provision for what we're in alliance with. And so they build intentionally on their house, a little chamber. There was expense involved. There was work involved. They might have been put a little bit out in order to accommodate, put the candlestick in there and the bed and everything that they made to put in there. But look, if you will, at the benefits when you make provision for the right things in your life. There are drawbacks with Tobiah. But look at the provision when you make, when you look at the benefits, when you look at the provision that you made for the right things in your life. Here on a certain day, Elijah, amen, passes by. Amen, Elisha rather passes by. Amen, he goes into the room that the woman has provided for him. He's laying there with his servant Gehazi in the room. And he says, I wonder what we could do. I wonder what we could do for this woman. She's done so much for us. She's made provision for us. I wonder what we could do in return. Gehazi spoke up and said, Master, don't you see she at the age that she is? She has no child. 
Elisha says, Gehazi, why don't you call her to the door? And Gehazi calls her to the door and says, woman, we understand that you've done all this greatness for us. You have provided for us. You provided for the righteous and the holy and the unction of the holiness of God. He says, I see that you have no child. I see that you lack a child. He says, God promises to you according to the time of life that you are going to have a son. And just as it was, according to the time of life, she had a child. What will, what will make it a provision for the right things to do for you? It will promise you and bestow upon you things you could never acquire by yourself. Let me state it like this. Where Tobiah was rooting the next generation, amen, Elisha was giving the next generation. That's the difference. In making a provision for something good or something evil. One will rape you of your kids, the other one will supply them. He'll give you some, because that lady, she could not have children. But because she made provision, it was given to her what she could not acquire by herself. Someone say amen. Brother, okay. Good, I'm doing okay. I'm just a little wet, but I'm doing okay. Doing a whole lot better now. So she has this boy provided by the provision. But as the years go on, on a certain day, he's out in the fields with his father. He's out there. He exclaims to his dad, my head, my head. Don't really know what happens. So some people say heat stroke, all these are, but nevertheless, there's something going on in the boy's head. So my head, my head. Servants to come back to his mother. The Bible says it sat up on her knees. I think it was till about the noon hour that he died. So what do you do when the promise God's given you dies in your arms? What do you do when the future he's bestowed upon you is seemingly snatched away? You don't go lay that dead promise in the kitchen. You don't lay that dead promise in you and your husband's bedroom. You don't lay that dead promise on the porch. But you lay that dead promise in the chamber. That you had made. Poor God. Can you give me my monitor back just a little bit? And maybe I was out there and missed it because I wasn't behind it. Nevertheless, you put it in the chamber that you had provided. For the things of God. She lays that dead, lifeless promise. Right there on the bed. That years earlier wasn't there. That years earlier did not exist. It only existed because she finally made provision for what she was in alliance with. And now, these many years later, she could not have foreseen this. She's laying her dead promise. In that chamber, and in that room. She saddles, amen, she has a servant saddle her, a donkey gets on there. They ride hard, if you will, toward Elisha. Elisha sees them coming. He sends Gehazi out there, amen, asks if everything is well. Is everything well with your son? Is everything well with your husband? The lady is saying it is well. Honey, I mean, she's keeping it. Things are not good. Her boy is dead in the chamber. But she's saying it is well. It is well. Why? Because she knows the power of a provision. She's not down in the mouth. She knew what she knew that boy came into their life because of the provision that, that she made. And she knew that God could bring life back into the promise because of the it's well, it's well, it's well. She got there. She dropped down at the man of God's feet. She's crying. She's, he said, the Lord hath hid this from me. What Elisha said. On a side note, that has always given me great comfort in Scripture. Because there's some things that happen in church and people's lives sometimes that seem, I seem totally blinded to him. Like, God, I should be more sensitive. But even Elisha, being as sensitive he was, he said, God hid this from me. And so there's some things God keeps me blinded to. And I don't know if I'm all disappointed over it. He said, I go take my staff, lay it upon the child. He goes, lays it upon the child. Nothing. 
So Elisha goes to the house and goes into that little chamber that he's acquainted with. And he's looking upon the body of a dead promise that God aforementioned said is going to be alive and going to be for you as a child. Oh, God. There's the prayer meeting that takes place in that room. And before the day is over, before Elisha has finished, before he has left that arena of the little chamber of the provision that the woman had made for him, he comes out not by himself but with that boy and presents him back to his mother and say, here's your child, he's alive. Listen to me. Whenever you make provision for the right things, not only will it give you a future, not only will it affect the generations before you, not only will it be a holding area for your dead promises, but it will also be the arena where restoration takes place. It'll be the arena where revival happens. It'll be the arena where what you lost is given back to you. If you make provision for the right thing, You'll stand with me. I preach way too long. <clears throat> I thought I was going to be done in 30 minutes. If I ever get up and say I feel like I'm going to be finishing the hour, you better be ready. Large room for Tobiah. Great chamber for Tobiah. Little chamber for Elisha had vast different effects upon those that were acquainted with each of these provisions. Got to be careful what we make provisions for. Parents, we got to be careful what we make provisions for in our homes, among our children. Leadership, we got to be careful what we make provisions for. Unpack the whole dynamics of this assembly. We got to be careful. Here's the fact of the matter, folks. We're living in an hour that it's not so much so that Satan is fighting churches, he's joining churches. Because somebody's made provision for it. Somebody's made provision for it. Now, look what Nehemiah does, if you will, when I close with these verses of Scripture. Nehemiah 13. And I want to start with verse number 7. Bible says, Nehemiah says, he's heard all this junk. He's been gone for 12 years, but he's coming back. I just, I just took care of all this. You know what I'm saying? This decline in 12 years. The Bible says, Nehemiah says, and I came to Jerusalem and understood the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah. The evil that he did for him was that he provided, made provision for him. In preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore, Nehemiah said. Therefore, I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Did you hear what he said? Look what he said. I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah. So Tobiah didn't just come in by himself. He brought all his stuff. I could keep it for 10 minutes longer. Talking about whenever you lie, he's going to bring your depression, your fear. All his other toys. He's not coming alone. So Nehemiah, whenever he showed up, he said, out goes Tobiah and his garbage. Out go Tobiah and his household stuff out of the chamber. And verse 9 says, Then I commanded and they cleansed the chamber. <sighs> then I commanded and they cleansed the chambers. And thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God. With the meat offering and the frankincense and the tithe of the corn. All that. What's he doing? He's putting everything back where everything should be at. I make this plea to this congregation tonight. If there is anybody sitting under the sound of my voice. That has been flirting with the idea and the concept of making provision for your adversary. And let me tell you, he's sly. It can seem like an innocent thing you're doing, but it's not. If you have been snafued by his lies and you have made a small provision for him, and let's close our eyes all over this place, I open this altar tonight that you would come forth and do a cleansing of the chambers. Come forth and do a cleansing of the chamber. Show Tobiah, if you will, in a figurative sense, show him the door and his stuff. But if tonight, if tonight that's not you, or perhaps it is and you made the wrong provision, you can come to the altar tonight also and open a little chamber in your life 
for the goodness and the greatness and the godliness and the righteousness of your God and see what he'll bring into your life that you would have not been able to acquire by yourself. See the dead promises he can bring back to life that you would not be able to accomplish by yourself. These altars are open tonight because there is power in provision. Whether it be for good or whether it be for evil, there is power in provision. I want to tonight, as the man of God, the pastor of this church, I want to make provision for the things that are right. I want to make provision for the things that are true, the things that are honorable, the things that are respectable in the sight of God. Honey, if you do that, you will see a dynamic change in the surroundings of where you live when you make a provision for the right things there's power in the provisions we make these altars are open amen these altars are open there's not a reason any of us should not be at this altar amen you say well brother McGee I don't have the wrong provision that's fine then enlarge your little chamber to become a great chamber for the things that be of God enlarge your little chamber to be a grander chamber for the things that are appealing to the master Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.